You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie. Thank you for being here. Thanks for joining us. For any of you that are logging in and watching this live, thank you for doing that. You will be able to ask questions, and our producer, Greg, will be able to take those questions, read them to us, and then have uh, me or my guest answer those questions. And as is commonly seen, you may ask a question, and that will send us down a road that you didn't even ask about, and we're just going to talk about it anyway. So with the guest that I have here today, she is an indoor cycling instructor, a group fitness educator, and um, works in group uh, fitness or uh, management. And so with that, I want to introduce to you Emily Booth. Emily, thank you for being here today. Hi, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. I'm really excited to join in the conversation. I think it's a uh, an exciting time to be in the fitness industry for so many reasons, and I'm really eager to hear your take and to have some conversations with our audience about it. Uh, this is an interesting time to be in any business. <laughs> uh, the challenges are real. The um, the issues that we are dealing with from small business owners and gyms, especially in places like New York where they're not allowed to open, um, that still have to pay rent and to also see that there are people who need exercise and they're grasping at any and every opportunity to, to do that. And, and I have to shout out for the enterprising instructors and educators and coaches that have popped on and started doing this virtual training. But with that said, there is a gap between credentialed and uncredentialed instructors, people who are putting on the show and people who have the, the education and the background to be able to safely and effectively and efficiently guide people. So please, I want you to tear into that a little bit just from your perspective uh, with group and talk to us about um, the noise. All right, so um, it's been a fascinating time. Um, I'm in Colorado, and so we reopened um, for business about, um, gosh, a month and a half ago. But um, so once we shut down, I remember I taught my very last class on March 16th. I'll never forget it. <laughs> it was like, okay, you can go in and you can teach or you cannot teach. How do you feel about it? And right. it's like, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to teach. And uh it was really strange, you know, all of a sudden everybody's really far apart. Uh, normally I have about 65 people in a full indoor cycling class and suddenly there were 17, uh, 16 and separated, very spaced out. And this had happened in the space of several hours. And, um, you know, I was dealing with, as I know so many of my colleagues are, what's the right thing to do, right? How do we approach this Am I being responsible by helping people maintain a fitness program? Am I being irresponsible by going into this environment? And is it going to be weird? And who's going to be there? And, you know, what's it going to feel like? So I, I actually made a special playlist that uh, I thought would kind of address some of these things without me having to say them. And uh, gosh, it was really, really strange. And um, good and 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 I was surprised at who showed up and I thought gosh this is not who I expected to show up for the last class that we're probably going to have for you know who knows how long and none of us knew what we were getting into in that moment none of us no, knew no. it was awaiting on the other side right of that 
whatever, how long that period was where you all are still experiencing it in many areas like in New York. Um, and what was that going to be like? And, you know, especially for the instructors that are used to teaching these huge full classes and groups and studios and boutiques and, you know, in their main, in, in, in big box gyms, wherever you are. And all of a sudden it's like, gosh, there's just really, it's a strange uh, vibe. And so how do you deal with that? And that's something I've been grappling with um, ever since this happened. And then in the process of, okay, now let's move into what do I do? Um, I finally, about a weekend, I, I caved and I bought myself um, a full, you know, super duper stages bike. I teach on the stages uh, SE3 bike with the power meter and all this stuff. Okay. And I thought, okay, I'm going to like just do my stuff, right? Because I've been teaching indoor cycling for 20 plus years. I can give myself some workouts. <laughs> you know, teaching virtually was never on my mind at all um, in the beginning. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say it wasn't on my mind at all, but definitely just I'm just trying to keep myself from falling apart. I'm also a runner. I'm a long distance runner. And one by one, all my races are getting canceled and all my goals for the year are, are going into um, no man's land. You know, That's it's true. Just, I guess the only good thing is that all you can do at this point is go for a run though. <laughs> it, and it was, but then you go outside and depending on where you go. And I live near Boulder, Colorado. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, if I don't have my buff around my face, am I weird? Is it strange? And none of us knew we had no answers. And, you know, I have, um, you know, instructors reaching out to me. I've been in a leadership position with a large organization for a long time. And all of a sudden, like, what are you doing? And I'm, I don't know. And I want to have all the answers. And I felt like I just, I didn't. And then members are reaching out. And are you going to start doing this? And who's going to start teaching classes? And um, I really struggled with that uh, because all of a sudden I thought, well, I can't create the experience that I want um, in this environment you know, and I'm still technically employed. So does that put me at risk for a conflict of interest? There's all these things um, that are yeah. really big, big questions that um, I probably am someone that thinks about way too much. Um, but uh, I would I would go so far as I'm, I'm thankful that I do, but it's certainly something that was really on my mind. So I got my bike, but um, it was minus its uh, power console, which I'm a diehard user of a power meter. And so all of a sudden I thought, gosh, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm sure that I'm losing all of my fitness. Um, I'm going for runs as much as I can, but uh, it was really a crazy uh, uh, first couple of weeks of figuring out what to do. So a couple of things came to me through that, um, through conversations, and these are maybe two diverse perspectives, two diverse things that were going on, maybe even three, but one on a very, global scale, I felt very uh, unsure, as I mentioned, about how to proceed and, you know, is it the right thing? How do you offer it? There's there's all these complex issues of music legality. There's all these things about putting stuff out there and, you Just know. Just so you uh, know, the music legality question is on my list of questions to ask you. So okay. we can get to it later. Let's, Keep going let's down get the there path. because I think it's, it's huge, right? Yeah. And so you have folks that are very aware of it and folks that are very unaware of it. Um, or just maybe, you know, um, naive to how big it is. My stepfather's a lawyer, so I've grown up <laughs> with that always on my mind. Um, but so there was that. There was also the, the you know, exclusivity, non-exclusivity. Am I teaching for my organization? Am I not? Am I teaching personally? Do I charge? Do I not charge? Do I do donations? What do I do? Is this for me? And if I charge, okay, great. Is that a conflict? If I don't charge, um, is that a betrayal to um, 
my profession and me saying like that what I do doesn't have enough value that I'm just going to throw it all out there because I think there's a great argument for offering. And I, you know, I, I was listening to your, your uh, podcast with uh, Regina with regard to inclusivity and how do you find oh, Katrina, ways- Katrina, Pilkington. Katrina, Katrina, I'm sorry, Katrina, not Regina. My apologies. My, my apologies, Katrina. <laughs> you were lovely. Um, but how to be inclusive and how to in, maybe this is an opportunity to include people that haven't been able to participate before. 1,000%, um, yes. You know, yeah, it's huge, right? And at the same time, you know, how do I do that in a way that at some point, this is my income. I've spent 20 plus years uh, getting more and more credentials and, and honing my craft to be a leader in the space. And how do I do that? And do I give away everything I've worked so hard for? And moreover, can I create an experience that I think is worthy um, when not everybody has the same equipment, et cetera, et cetera? How do I do that? Right. So um, that was that was big. And then the third thing was on a personal level um, about my own uh, b being super accustomed to having measurement, things like that. And something I'd like to talk about is just the basic level of goal setting and how the simplest level of goal setting, wherever you are or wherever a client or a participant is in this process, is so critical to achieving some level of success um, in an environment that maybe is not what they're used to without somebody in their face, if you will, or however that looks. So um, those are three things that have, that were really on my mind. So I, I'm going to let you, awesome. <laughs> I'm going to let you drive for a second. Okay. Well, I, I do want to talk about one is access to the gym and Ursa had put out something years ago and, and these numbers may have changed, but I'm sure the fluctuation isn't going to be grand. Um, but that said something about like 14 or 16% of the United States population is a member of some type of health, fitness, or wellness club. That leaves a large population that is not. And yes. with that said, every time a new club, a new boutique, a new gym, a new facility opens, they seem in general to be fighting over the same 14 to 16%. It's not like we have new places opening and then people who aren't working out are exercising or going, oh, I should really do this now. So we all seem to be tearing at the same leg of a lamb right now. And what I got to look at is that does this now start to provide the opportunity for that 84 to 86% of the population that's never going to step foot in the gym to actually have access to some type of curated experience from a fitness professional. I so love that you're saying this because I would say it's sort of this democratization of our um, of, of, of access to great yeah. uh, or, or, or to some level of, of guidance through this thing. And I, this is the thing, and I guess, so one reason I love NASM so much and NASM was the first personal training certification I got when I first came into the industry. Yeah, uh, so much. It's changed a lot. <laughs> but this is uh, what feels like a hundred years ago now. <laughs> and I don't want anybody doing any math. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but when the um, Spanish flu was going on, is that what you mean? Probably. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was 1918. Yes. The internet connection was spotty then. Uh, but, um, I have found that, you know, through these years, um, uh, you know, I guess I'll give you a quick little bit of background. Um, my background is actually music theater and performance um, also. I, so I came up um, 
singing and dancing on stage as a kid and uh, also um, simultaneously ran track and um, kind of dabbled in distance running um, as a young young person. Always, uh, now I realized that um, I was, I suppose, genetically gifted in the space of things that were not running related probably, um, that I loved to, uh, I was the, the girl that could do the flex arm hang for a long time. I pulled yeah, my pull-up bar, I've pulled my pull-up bar down so that you don't see it here, but this is usually where my pull-up bar lives and I love to do drive-bys on it. Um, but uh, <laughs> I have found that, um, you know, through that time, I guess I didn't recognize my own affinity or whatever we'll call it, whether it was the environment that I was in or my parents or my genes or whatever, that I was able to do certain things. But it never really felt like that was going to be a career path for me. Like that was not something that was on my radar. Um, and as a, I guess, you know, started singing, dancing early, somehow these two worlds, I never thought there was going to be this perfect convergence of my performance background yep. and my uh, fitness, we'll call it, you know, my love for pull-ups, running, jumping, sit-ups, whatever it was, the things that most people didn't like to do. I didn't realize that maybe that made me a little strange that I actually liked that part, that I really liked to go to gym class because I was good at it. Um, and how, I guess, much of a, an advantage that gave me in some ways that I've, I've been in a process of trying to somehow help others to find their path to that, if you will. But through that path, realizing that if this is something that people don't really like to do, that if I, through an entertainment perspective, could uh, make that experience more enjoyable for the folks that don't like to do it, then I could win, right? That I, this thing that had given me so much, I wanted to really give it back. I never thought it would become, again, my full-time career. But I also have this very high standard for myself. And the sense of like, I, I hate not knowing. I'm very obsessed with knowing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so when I became clear, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have a PhD. I don't have a master's in exercise. What am I going to do? Like, this is terrible. I'm not going to succeed because I am not, you know, I'm a singer. You know, right, I'm like, right. I'm a doctor, Jim, or whatever, you know. <laughs> and so I'm a singer. I'm a dancer. I'm not a exercise you get scientist. This imposter syndrome going on. 100%. A hundred percent. So I guess I'm telling you all that in the sense that it informs very much where I come from um, in the sense of I made it my mission to do my very best um, from an educational perspective to fill in those gaps for myself. And um, so I think that when, you know, one of the things that we mentioned talking before is um, my passion for the consumer to understand what it means to have a credentialed to have an informed fitness instructor, trainer, et cetera. Yeah. And that, so one of my concerns to bring this full circle here, I'm gonna make it happen, um, is that I, I believe that people deserve um, to trust the people that are giving them workouts, that are giving them, that have their best interest at heart, truly have their best interest at heart. And I would, say again, I don't think anybody that loves fitness wakes up in the morning and says, I want to give out bad information. <laughs> I want to, I want to lead people astray, <laughs> but it's very often we live in this industry that doesn't have any kind of real, I mean, we have our, obviously here we are with NASM, one of the most respected personal training certifications, fitness certifications in the industry, but most general consumers don't know the sure. difference between someone that does or doesn't, Hey, they look great. Hey, they, they make me feel good. They're a great 
connector. They're a great social media. Um, uh, they've, they've built a great social media platform, whatever it is, they're a great connector in some way, but they, we don't always know what they're doing. And I would say from my own experience that I probably suffered at the hands of not, not, not intentionally, um, but of bad information. Um, and so I'm extremely passionate. So I guess I would say that for everything I, wherever I come from is from a place of, I was probably at war with my body for the majority of my twenties based on information that I was given that I thought was legitimate. Um, and then I parroted that information because I didn't know any better. Sure. And so throughout our, our, um, as it becomes this, I feel like we kind of got a handle on it. And now we have this wild west of Instagram, uh, personalities and trainers and people going online. So it's like this great for me. I'm, I am, I'm very, very cognizant of trying to find the balance of this democratization of fitness and everybody having access, but at the same time, everybody having access to good information and, and to, to know what's really going to change them. And let's take it another level. What is good information? Because is, even if it's not the best way of moving, is some movement better than no movement? And I would argue, yes, it is. Right. So how do we work on long that continuum? Let me let me bring it around to to this. I think if you look at something like, um, let's take Dr. Oz for example. Now, sure. Dr. Oz is a very respected cardiovascular surgeon, mm -hmm. and when put in front of a platform to speak to many many people, there are only so many things that you can say that people are going to understand before you have to start getting into the idiosyncrasies of like. Heart, heart disease and and different you know patho uh, pathologies that happen in the heart and the vascular system. So we can't talk about that, right? Like just general population can't receive that information. And so in order to continue to be in front of the general population, there's a watering down of content. Now, fitness, I think, is similar in certain ways, is that when people have a big microphone, there seems to be some, oftentimes, a watering down of information. Now, I want to give credit where credit is due. If through Instagram and Facebook and all of these social platforms, we are able to get more people active, fantastic. I love it. I think inspiration into fitness to do something on your own is valuable. It's magical. It needs to continue to happen. But there are people out there that are providing that information that aren't even Dr. Oz's, you know what I mean? Like where they're not even <laughs> a credentialed version of that within the fitness industry. Now, here's another problem I have where people who are certified like to look at other people on Instagram who are certified or not, and nobody knows, they just, they, they like to point fingers and go, I would never do that, I would never do that. And then we shame other people instead of focusing on what it is that's good. Now, if there's something contraindicated somebody's doing, I think that you really should call that out. And if any of your your clients or your followers follow that person, you need to say, hey, be careful uh, accepting that. But we're in a position where the those that educate and those that teach and those that know are oftentimes not those with the microphone. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't get there, but what I'm hoping and what I'm seeing a little bit is that there are people out there that are getting 
their voice out there, they're being seen, and then they turn it around and actually go back and get a credential. And God bless them, like you knew you got there on 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 abs and ignorance, okay? Like you know you got there. <laughs> but there are a lot of people out there that exercise and they exercise and they've been going to classes and they've been doing the fitness thing their whole life or they played basketball or football and for goodness sakes, I know what I'm doing. We went to state, right? <laughs> like we we made it to the top. So I must know what it's like to be a trainer. Um, and that's not necessarily true. And the people who know that know that and the people that don't know it don't. So there's there's noise out there. There's noise from credentialed fitness people. There's noise out there certainly from people who are credentialed that that don't utilize it or take that information and they're still publishing the same content that they were doing otherwise. And then there are people out there that are learning better and doing better. And those are the lifelong learners, the people who want to do the best at what they have and what they can do and what they can provide. And that's what I want to do. I I don't want to just I, I don't want to go back to school again, trust me, but I also <laughs> doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I I stop reading. It doesn't mean that I stop looking. And so I'll share this when I have people that want to use my gym facility to train out of, and I require an NCCA accredited certification to train out of there. And I have people tell me, oh, uh, I was, I had a certification, I let it lapse, I don't really do that anymore. It's just a racket, people just trying to make money. There's no reason to do that. I'm smarter than all of those guys anyway. I know this, I know this. And here's the thing, you you can't prove that because you're not credentialed. <laughs> Nobody knows that you're smarter than anybody. Nobody even knows that you're on the same level as anybody else because you're not credentialed. Secondly, the insurance component. Third, very right, like there's a there's a, a liability that I take on at my facility if I let people train out of it and, and they're not credentialed. And then you're barking up the wrong tree if you're telling me as a fitness educator that fitness education is not valuable. So oh, yeah. you're in a world of people with, uh, with this syndrome that allows them to believe that they know enough and they know more than everybody else without actually knowing more than anybody else. <laughs> Oh, you are speaking my language. So the thing that I love that you just said, because um, I've asked this question a lot, which is, when did you decide you knew enough? Like, I think it's, you know, and we don't want to stop people from getting there by, by having this high barrier to entry. But it's like, when did you decide that you knew enough? Um, and, and why did you stop? Like, because this is fluid. There's always great information coming out. So I would absolutely say I'm probably over the top of, of an obsessive lifelong learner myself. Um, as I mentioned, I just, it's, I can never know enough for myself, but, um, in the prospect of, of educating other fitness professionals, I think there's a, to you also said something really valuable, which is it's important to not feel um, that someone's been shamed in some way that, oh, you didn't know. And I think that there's a fear of that, like, wow, I find out and now I feel like everything I've done is wrong. And now I don't know how to go back on it because I feel this sense of, wow, I, I didn't know. And um you know, obviously, you know, back to your point with regard to, you know, having a big platform or a big microphone, easy to talk about that and people are going to listen to you. Um, and so, you know, whenever there's a headline grabber, 
um, you know, people pick it up and then they just dig into it. So one of my, um, and I hope I'm not opening up a giant can of worms right now, but why not? Um, I look at, you know, especially with, with indoor cycling, um, I, in all fitness classes as a manager, I see what participants want, um, with regard to, you know, let's just say, I'll start with taking an indoor cycling class. They assume that it's always going to be this high intensity, suffer fest, miserable, um, experience of some kind, like yep. miserable, if you like it, miserable, or, or if you don't, and as an endurance athlete and as a cyclist and as a runner in all those ways. Um, and you know, I would hopefully say a lifelong athlete knowing the varying ways that, uh, the body is, uh, stimulated to change. Right. And just saying, well, there's a balance. And so like the hit training situation that we have, a, of, have, um, encountered ourselves in, especially in group fitness, that as a manager, everybody thinks that they want, you know, this really super high intensity interval style class. And then I'm finding out they're doing that five and six days a week. I'm like, so you know that it's really not high intensity five and six days a week and that you're living in this hamster wheel. When was the last time you, let me ask you a question. Are you sore all the time? When was the last time you saw any change? you know, and getting to a place where we find the balance of what a, an individual needs and, and feeling free to educate people about how they're going to achieve their best result. And so whether that's online, whether that's in a group setting, um, especially, you know, you know, with personal trainers, we can, we can definitely get there. So without opening in a whole other can of worms, you know, I've lived my life in that balance of the rift between group fitness and personal training and saying, okay, gosh, you go to group class, you're just going to get beat the heck up, but you're not going to see change really. And you're just on this hamster wheel. And then group people like, why'd you tell them not to take my class, you know? And, and, and it is just the constant push and pull um, between those. And, you know, having been on both sides of it, and I know that any other um, fitness instructor who was also a trainer, especially probably also in management of some kind, looks at this and says, this is the perfect marriage of everything. Why can't we make this work? And whether it's in an online world or a virtual world, how can we bring that together so that a participant, so that a consumer can get the best possible uh, result? And you know, maybe it is to your point, just movement, right? I've had to come a long way just to say, gosh, well, I do a hundred mile races for fun. And I realize that that makes me really crazy actually in the eyes of the general public like oh yeah i'm gonna go do a 50 this weekend really like i realize i'm the outlier right and so i have to find that place to meet people where they are and say gosh they're, they're moving but i keep going i want you to have more i want you to have the best and finding that balance uh, as a as a fitness professional between meeting the great diversity of people where they are versus um, where you are, right? So we go back to the idea of goals, understanding our goals versus others' goals, and how to communicate them in ways that are really accessible. And one thing about, I, again, I was listening to your discussion with Katrina um, about, you know, right-sizing goals for people and recognizing from an inclusivity perspective, what does someone have and where do they want to go? What do they need right now? And how do we get there, whether we're teaching a group fitness class, whether we're a, a client and not, I know this is a, a, an age old discussion, but not imposing our own personal goals on others um, while we're still trying to, you know, make a living and build a brand as a fitness professional. Um, and I, and finding that balance, I think is, is really tricky. And I think that 
we are in this precipice of a brand new way of doing that. There's sort of blue ocean right now with what's happening um, in our post um, or current pandemic world. And so where we go with that's really, really fascinating. So is it an opportunity for us to remake ourselves uh, and de deliver a service that is accessible, affordable, and effective for more than the 14% that Amen. are currently well engaged, said. right? And that's, I mean, I to your point, especially when we know that that there are comorbidities, uh, uh, if we go to go there for a moment, a lot of which you know are associated um, with um, lifestyle and obesity and 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 diabetes and all these heart disease, all these comorbidities that are associated with that could potentially be a, a, you know helped by a healthier lifestyle. How do we help people be healthier and not just focusing on that 14% that's after the aesthetic? And that I know is the continuous conversation in the industry, but maybe we finally have an opportunity to do it in a way that we haven't done it before. I like that. I like that there's the potential for greater opportunity to have impact and influence for people. Um, we talked about inclusivity and, and you understand also that we talk about inclusivity, when you start to only put out high intensity interval training classes, how many people you are also going to push away? How many people aren't fit enough? And they will give them like, I'm not fit enough to do that class. And we can say all we want, push yourself to the intensity that you can handle. But they're gonna see everybody in there doing what they can't do and say, there's no way I can go to that class. And that might turn into, there's no way I can go to that facility. And then there's no way that I fit in with this brand. And so I can't be a part of this company. And it just builds into who we're not addressing by only addressing a part of it. And when you're part of a big fitness chain, then you get to provide classes for everybody. Whether or not you choose to do it is a different story. But being able to provide classes and and acknowledge that this is, without maybe even using the words, but a beginner class or a novice class or um, you know, intensity level one, uh, whatever it is, so that people can go, I could do an intensity level one. I don't know if I can do an intensity 20, but I can do intensity level one. And so they feel more comfortable doing the classes, coming to the gym, being part of that brand, being part of that facility, because there's an inclusion, not on the level that we were talking about as much with Katrina last time, but on a level that says there are people that need to be met where they are. And if we move so far ahead of people that need fitness the most and all we're catering to are the people who already are fit, then we're missing out on a large amount of business and we're missing out on a large opportunity to really influence and change the lives that need it the most. 100%. And the, you know, to your point, changing right now, we have this opportunity to, you know, we are at a, at a, at a, at a, at a crisis in this country with health um, yeah. and making it accessible and exciting for people. And I think that comes back to, you know, how do we get people to feel like they belong um, that they're, and a lot of that comes down to, I think the burden um, you know, depending on where you work, but, you know, as an individual and building your own fitness brand, you know, opening your eyes to who you're missing and how we're missing them. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
how do we engage them and how do we make them feel successful? And I know that's, you know, that sounds like it's such a, it's such a, a, a almost sounds trite because it's been said so much in our industry, but it really is everything that when someone feels success and sees success, and that isn't necessarily, they're going to have their six pack, um, but that they feel that they are able to move through their life more, with, with more ease, that they feel more confident, that they feel stronger, all those things um, that we've always said define success, right? And a lot of that is setting benchmarks for people, helping them. So I, so I, I would bring this to as a useful tool for the, the coach or for the instructor, you know, how are you helping individuals to see their progress? And for me, I would just, because this is the world I live in so much, um, and why I love indoor cycling in the sense of using a power meter is that it ver provides very real-time feedback, both within the in-class experience and then over time that, hey, let's say I'm monitoring even my, my perceived exertion or my heart rate, but I'm also monitoring my power output. And it's not about achieving this certain level of this person reached this many watts because it's, you know, and I know we have all these that's happening out there all the time. And there's this competition factor and, um, that can scare a lot of people, especially when they don't understand how those competitions are set up and all the factors that influence whether you produce higher watts or lower watts or whatever that is. And if that is um, something that, you know, if a participant doesn't understand that, um, they may miss out on understanding how much better they're getting if they're trying to continuously That's think, a good how, do, how do I measure up compared to everybody? Because uh, I mean, coming from racing, everybody wants to know how they measure up, right? It's like, right, I just don't want to be last, you know, like there's a, right. always going to be somebody that, you know, you may not win, but like, it's like, I was the third person from this county under the age yeah. of 35 <laughs> that finished in, you know, like they want to know where they measure up. And that can, again, that is very obvious in like, you know, running races and things like that. But even in group fitness, now we put these metrics around it. We put in cycle, we put metrics on the board and I love that stuff. But yeah. at the same time, people, uh, there's the people that really like it and people that really don't. And I would, I would submit that the majority of the people that don't, don't understand that piece. And so it scares them because they are, and often that comes from a coach, so, you know, coming full circle on education. How do I coach to that so that everybody sees that as an opportunity to just say, hey, you're beating yourself from five minutes ago or you're beating yourself from five classes ago. And that's progress. And that's something to be celebrated. Right. Um, without like, oh, you were last, you know, <laughs> Nobody, right. I look up there and I'm like, oh no, I didn't have the right, or I'm on the, you know, whatever, um, you know, virtual, you know, there's many, many virtual pro, pro, uh, platforms for this now, right? And so everybody's yep. excited and it's always great. Like again, me, I can win the flex arm pain contest, which made me feel great. And maybe it inspired me to go into the world of fitness. What about the person that couldn't pull themselves onto the bar? Right. You know, and you know, I've been on both sides of it now as I'm getting a, few, a little older. Um, you know, I've been injured. I'm hurt right now. My lower back is killing me. And I'm thinking, gosh, there's all these things that I never thought I uh, never thought about not being able to do. And I think that's one of the gifts that comes with um, with age, too, is that you have experienced more. You know what it feels like for your body to hurt in ways to not recover in the same ways and to mm -hmm. become a more inclusive coach um, so that it isn't first level one, level 20. It's try it, you know, we, we always say this, right? Try it this way, try it this way, try it this way. And offering lots of ways for yes. folks to relate 
to whatever it is you're doing and not only speaking of it from a single paradigm. And that's very hard as an instructor sometimes because we look at things through our own lens and our own experience. And when we are, have the ability to start to open our minds and coach to people um, wherever they are, and this will become so much more important even now, if you don't even know what equipment everybody has, let's say you're teaching a virtual class, how are you gonna make it as inclusive and as adaptable as possible? Because I think adaptable is gonna be one of the key words of 2020. (laughs) We live, you know, how do we adapt? And those that adapt, whether as a fitness professional, especially how we adapt in these new times, I think is going to, um, how do we adapt and how do we innovate? And I think that's something that's a big, been a huge question on my mind and I'm sure so many others like me and you, um, how how do we make the most of this? How do we turn this very difficult time into something that we can emerge from as a stronger um, industry that's, you know, maybe less aesthetic based and more about reaching the whole, reaching everybody and getting people to be, to live a healthier, more um, confident, productive life, wherever they are. How do we empower them? And I know that's, again, another word that's overused, but one of the challenges that I experienced through this was, okay, Emily, will you please teach some classes online? We just want to, we just want your class. And I thought, you know, I've spent what I thought were years trying to help people to become uh, more self-efficacious, right? So that if my, through my coaching, they didn't need me, that yes, it's best if we can be together because I love being together with you. I love being in our group. But if I've taught you anything, I hope that I've taught you how to, find that motivation intrinsically and be able to go out there and like, okay, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to try it. Or I'm going to get on my, you know, cruddy bike at home. And I'm going to just see what happens. Cause I learned these drills and I'm going to try it out. So, um, it's, it's an interesting balance, but I'm, I'm excited, um, for where we are right now. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to speak to something that you mentioned, which, uh, you talked about regressions and, There are these regressions and progressions, and I think that this is one of the key factors that separates the quality trainer and uh, and the educated instructor from the ones that are not, is that they can modify and they create modifications even when they can't necessarily see them. They will speak them, they will say, this is what the group needs to be aware of, these are things that, you know, if then programming, right? So if you have this with your back, then you want to be careful with this exercise. Here's a modification that's put out there. The balancing of planes of motion, the balancing of pushing and pulling uh, exercises, this wonderful um, programming that we see through education versus this is the workout that I do. And though the workout that I do may be very effective for you, it may not be efficient, it may not be safe, it may not be ideal, but it's something that I, as a fitness professional, do that everybody else is trying to fit into my body. <laughs> and we've we've talked about this. Just you know, if you if you like Pilates, you're gonna teach and coach Pilates. But if you also like lifting or if you like yoga, all of these things influence how and what you teach. But if you're going in teaching a cycling class, um, you have to be careful about how you teach that class, that you're not mixing all of these things together because they don't fit. Uh, It doesn't mean you can't say, hey, after this, 
you know, your next class in order to recover might be a, and then you fill in the blank. But we tend to coach and teach the way that we like to train and we have to be aware of the audience that's there and be able to work and coach and train to everybody. And you can put your levels out there so that you know this is an advanced class, you know, this is a level 20 intensity, you know, we can we can put that out there, but it needs to be stated, it needs to be clear. And then talking about balance, those classes need to be balanced with the ones that are not as high intensity. Now, with that being said, I want to ask one more question to you just to help clarify something to me, and then I'll kick it over to Greg and see if there's uh, there are anybody uh, in in the chat that has a question for for you, Emily. But my question is, don't worry, it's not a hard one. It's just it's just I keep hearing words like I hear group exercise, I hear group fitness, I hear small group training, I hear these different labels that are put on. Uh, the group portion of the fitness industry. Are there some words that we use or categories? What do they mean? What are the differences? Oh, that's a great question. So I think that um, group exercise, group fitness, pretty used interchangeably. Um, hopefully, hopefully I'm oversimplifying this, right? Um, where you have an instructor, generally it's somebody that's either paid for a spot like in a boutique style class or at a big box that's a you know generally large group where the instructor doesn't know any of the individual background of the individuals unless they ask, right? Mm -hmm. Unless they've been there over time, right? So I've often likened teaching a group exercise class to teaching school um, to a group of uh, K through 12 where you have different kids showing up every day. All right. And trying to figure out how to what do you do with that, right? Do you, and they're different kids. They're not even the same kids sometimes. Whereas I would look at small group training as where you have a little bit more um, understanding of maybe who the group is, a group training. So you're still training a group, but it's a small group and you have a background um, of those individuals, their, their histories, their goals, things okay. like that in a much different way. But I mean, specifically the world that I live in is, yes, is the free for all K through 12, you know, or K through, you know, PhD level of fitness, all showing up with different people showing up, you know, at least a few different people every time. And as much as exciting as a challenge is that it's an exciting challenge. It's also terrifying when you think about how do I best program? How can I, how can I program to satisfy the, as many of these folks as I can? And um, for me, I think that it comes down to two things. It's, it's, it's intelligent programming, but it's also intelligent coaching. And so um, when you, you know, I hope that answers your question, but, but um, please ask again, if, if it isn't, but I, that's how I would categorize that. Right. And no, you know, it's really like, you just don't know who's there group. And it's, it can very much, become about the cult of personality of the person that's up there. And they tend to, like you said, like attracts like very often, or somebody's popular and they come in, but they may not align with the, the, the special the, or the needs of the individuals that are of all the individuals that are coming. And sometimes those things sort themselves out, but other times it breaks my heart that somebody comes, they have a bad experience and they decide this isn't for me. Right. And then they go away. And that's the part that um, breaks my heart. And that when I educate instructors, it's like, how do you how do you best make sure you get at least a second chance to connect with that person? Nice. I like that. All right. All right. Well, with that said, I'm going to kick it over to our producer, Greg. Greg, do you have any uh, questions that have coming up through the thread about what we're talking about today? 
We do. Uh, pretty active chat. A few questions for you guys. Cameron wants to know, there's so much info out there to decipher through. How do you know what is good and what is not so good uh, when you don't know who is actually qual uh, qualified to provide that information? I love that question. Um, it is so, and that is, that is the, that is the crux of, of so much of this, right? There is just so much noise. Um, personally, I can tell you what I do. And of course it, it really comes back to, um, if I look for information, I hear a headline, I'm going to look at the, the resources that were cited by the article. I'm going to dig in. I'm going to find out if those resources are peer reviewed resources, where they came from, who paid for them. Um, and if they're affiliated with, a respectable and credentialed organization, um, because that's you know I think that I, I would certainly not call myself any a scientist of any kind by any stretch. Someday maybe if I go back to school, um, but um, not having the the leg, I I know that I don't know, and so I'm going to go look for credible resources of people that do. And sometimes I'll even, you can type in the Google search scholarly article on, or you can um, go to um, the, uh, you know, I would say, look at like NASM, who are the, the sources that they're citing in the educational materials that they're giving? What are the credentials of the person? And again, I would say, are, is that person working for someone that they may have a financial interest in being promoted by that? Um, sometimes reading beyond the headline, sometimes there's a headline of an article that's really exciting, but then if you look down and you dig in a little deeper, you find out that the sample size was really small. It was all done with college age males and, uh, you know, five college age males, you know, like, okay, is that a really good sample size? Um, and, and what does that really show? Um, so it's really about digging a little bit deeper and when I'm educating, I tell everybody, fact check everything, fact check me. I invite you to, and if you find something that you don't agree with, please bring it to me and let's have a conversation about it. But I'm never gonna take anything at the surface, especially if it sounds too good to be true. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'd also say this for people, if, if you're looking at this from people who are credentialed that are putting out information and that is through social media, the majority of people putting out information that our professionals will put their certification, who they're certified through in their bio, right? So if you go and click, uh, click on them, you'll see NASM certified, AFA certified. You're, you're gonna see the credentials that they have. Now there are some people, and, and I follow some of these people that are not professionals, but they just work out or they're, they're, they're in some fitness games that I like to follow and I think they're great athletes and I just wanna see what they're doing. All right, I can do that, but know that that program that they're putting out there is not a program designed for anybody, really, and it's not put in place based off of anything but from their experience. So when you get education, then you put it into play based on your experience and your education, not just because I'm, I work out at a high level, this is what I do and you can do it too, that we go into that from an educated place. So with that being said, uh, I would say go to their link, always check and see if they're, they're put their, their NASM or their AFA credentialing there so that you can feel more comfortable that that's a person that you can follow and follow their programming. With that said, Greg, what else you got? Yeah, another question from the chat. Is it wise to hold a group fitness class or boot camp without doing a movement 
uh, slash dynamic assessment first. My concern would be injury prevention is some clients may not be aware of their own limits and overdo it to the point they may get injured. Love that too. Um, I think that especially if you're doing something, <laughs> it's hard to do um, in a, in a, it really depends on where you are. I guess that's the, the, the great answer is it depends. Is it wise? Would it be ideal and optimal in every circumstance? Yeah. Is it realistic in every circumstance? Probably not. And so I would say when you can, I think that's fantastic. Um, one of the things you always want to do, if, if you're taking online clients and you're taking online, I think that having a, obviously going back to being insured, having a uh, huge uh, make sure that you that you've got some kind of a, of a waiver, and if somebody's going to participate in your online program or whatever program you have, especially if you're independent, if you're an independent person and not working for another major organization, um, you're going to want to definitely have um, some liability, but also then to provide the best results. Certainly to find out what people's goals are and what limitations that they might have. I think that's a absolutely you know, fantastic strategy whenever it's realistic. And I wish that we could get to a place where we always knew that. Most of the time you can always ask, right? You can always ask folks too. But one of those things you want to be sensitive in the way that you ask and not like, okay, everybody, who's new? Anybody got any injuries I should know about? <laughs> you know, we've all been there. We've all seen that happen. Um, but, um, you know, that's that goes to that community building that, you know, if you're teaching a main group class to say, hey, this is, a, you know, setting the expectation, being there a little bit early um, and offering yourself as someone to say, hey, I'd love for you to, to come up and let me know if there's anything going on that I need to know about. And then, of course, I think there's also a place for um, sneaking. I'm a big, big fan of sneaking in assessment type things into your movement prep. Um, and into your into your warm up. So uh, you can do a visual assessment of things with relatively safe exercises as a progression through whatever style of, of, of class you're doing and giving people some really good cues and and ideas about what they should be feeling and doing a visual assessment of who's able to do those things. And then as a great coach, being able to modify how you speak to these things accordingly. I think that's 100% a great way to answer that question. And just also make the note that it's not personal training, right? That's what you do in personal training because you can, and that's the purpose of it. You assess, you find out where they are. You find out what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. You address their mobility issues. And then you can do all of that before each one. Now, the value of a warm up and movement prep in group is not overlooked. It's always present. I've never been to a class, not even a high intensity class that didn't have a really solid warm up. And um, and like you said, an instructor and they've seen it with me when I do classes, they'll come up and be like, hey, everything OK. Right. They're just they're, you have to be dialed in to every single person in that group so that you can say, it looks like there's a little hitch in your giddy up there on their left side. What's going on? Knee, is it your hip? Is there something I should know? And just be very aware of some of those orthopedic issues that could be going on and don't be afraid to say something because that is our responsibility in a group setting to make sure everybody is safe, but it is not the responsibility in a group setting to do personal training where everybody gets that one-on-one -on -one assessment and things like that. So that's um, perfect. That's, said, that's it. 
we're getting we're getting close to the end. Let's do one more question, uh, if if there is one, and then we will close this bad boy out. Yep, Abby in the chat wants to know what are your what's the best or your favorite sources for evidence evidence based research. Oh my gosh. Um, well, certainly, um, <laughs> I'm kind of a geek. I like to go to um, some of the exercise science textbooks that I have and dig into um, the studies that are that are coming out. I also come back often, of course, to NASM, to finding out what's there to idea, right, to the um, International Dance Exercise Association and, and finding out who the researchers are. That's a great place to start, you know, is to go through, um, through idea because they're going to have, they're going to connect you to NASM, they're going to connect you to NSCA, they're going to connect you to all of these um, reputable, highly reputable, highly credible, evidence-based organizations. And so if you start there and you kind of follow the rabbit hole, I kind of call it going down the rabbit hole, but like, you know, if you, if you subscribe to ACSM's journal, you subscribe to, um, NASM, uh, you subscribe to idea and then every, I mean, there's constant content, uh, content coming out. And then instead of just stopping at the article, I love to find to go down and now I dig into the resources that they utilized to find the, the, that that information, right? They often do a really great job of, of 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 and that's their job, right? To summarize and make it palatable. But if you want more, um, dig deeper. But on the just to go there, I would start with idea and um, you know again NASM, NSCA, and any of the um, NACSM. Yeah, and and I, I I can't speak against that at all. These are reputable organizations. Um, the big three that are all accredited by NCCA that you had mentioned. So NCCA is a third party a third party accreditation, and so that's when NASM says we are an accredited certification. That means that we have the evidence-based education that went on, and then we had somebody from the outside come in to validate that. And that's kind of what a lot of places will have to do. A lot of universities will do that, not through NCCA, but they have state guidelines and regulations for accreditations for universities and schools and things like that. And the accreditation process is incredibly valuable. It doesn't mean that there aren't people out there with great information that are not accredited doesn't mean that. As a matter of fact, NASM has a um, has a way for you to go and find out who is an NASM provider. That means that somebody provides education and NASM gives you continuing education credits for taking those classes. So if you wanted to do like a pre or postnatal class, if you wanted to do that, then I would just look and make sure are they an approved provider? Has their content been looked over by evidence-based education companies like NASM? And then they say, all right, well, NASM trust this company enough to put their name on it and say, this is good enough for you to get con ed for our company. So it, they don't have to be accredited, but being approved provider would be a very good indication that that education is a solid place to start from. Uh, all right. With that said, 
we have uh, we've dug deep and we've gone long. So I want to give a shout out to our guest, Emily Booth. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time and your insights. If, uh, if you could share with people how they can get in touch with you or follow you if they choose to do so. Awesome. Um, well, you can follow me at Emily Booth 100 uh, on Instagram and you can find me on Facebook at Emily Booth. But I am uh, super excited. I, I could talk education forever and ever and ever. So please feel free to reach out to me. Um, email me. I'll give you that. <laughs> Emily Booth Fitness at gmail.com. Easy enough, right? Um, I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to um, guide you in any way I can or to learn from you in any way that I can because we live in this amazing shared world where we can always all get better together. And I do believe with all my heart that a rising tide lifts us all, right? So the Amen. tide is rising right now. And I think it's time for us to, uh, we can make some, we can make a big impact. We can make a big wave in a good way in a time that the world needs us. So thank you I so much for this opportunity. Beautifully said, very well said. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you and I appreciate what you've shared with us today. Because um, you can reach me at dr.rickritchie um on instagram and that's where i'm most active so you can message me and dm me there i have people that do that and i do my best to respond so please know that and uh if you have suggestions for topics or guests uh to be on the show then please send them to me as well thank you so much for being here this is the nasm cpt podcast <laughs>